Hi everyone and welcome to Bootstrapping SaaS. I am Val Sopi and currently I'm running Blogstatic.io, a blogging and newsletter platform. In this show, I invite guests to talk about SaaS and sometimes I run solo with an update. Spencer Jones is an indie hacker who's currently working on Chime Social, which is a Twitter scheduling tool and he's building it in public. I'm always inspired by makers like Spencer and want to learn more about how they're doing, what they're doing, so we can all learn together in public. So welcome to the show, Spencer. Glad to be here. Hey, so in the past couple of episodes, it's sort of become like a ritual. Um, I believe that we change every day, every year, every month. So my first question to you is, who is Spencer today? Who is Spencer today? All right, so I am... uh, a husband and a father and a big part of my life is being, you know, uh, being a part of my family. Um, I work as a staff engineer at a largest startup. They just passed, you know, the kind of unicorn valuation. There's 500 employees. Uh, so that's a growing, growing business. And I'm an indie hacker on the side. Wow. All right. So there's a lot to unpack. I mean, a lot of things I'm interested in. The first thing, um, I'm really happy that you mentioned indie hacking and parenting, which we just talked about before starting recording. And like you're a parent, so that's like your first main thing, which is mine too. Like I I take a lot of sort of, um, uh, I don't know how to say, like a pride, I guess, in a way of, you know, being a parent and being Mm -hmm. able to do what we do because it's so hard, you know, to sort of get out there and do a product from scratch and try to sell it. So what is that like for you? Yeah, it, in terms of how it impacts my, like, just ability to work on projects, it really ebbs and flows. Um, So like I said, it's, it's not my full-time thing. And so I have to find time in either the mornings or the evenings. Um, Recently, like weekends aren't even really like really possible they're just very full with family life so I, i'm usually doing it in the weeks during early mornings and at night and that's that's changed for me in the past year last year i was doing a lot of work late at night and so i'd start after the kids got in bed and it would maybe i'd start at like nine or something or 10 and work until midnight or 1 a.m uh but the challenge with that really was uh you know like my kids are little. And so if the baby's teething and mm-hmm. she's up at night crying because her teeth hurt, right? Maybe I went to bed at one and then I'm with the baby from two to three. And then at six, when I get up with the other kid, like I've hardly slept and now I've got to go work a full day. Oh. Um, and that's really, really rough. Or like there's, there was times, um, you know, my family, we all got, we all got COVID despite being vaccinated and boosted and all that. Oh, um, man the little one kind of brought it home and um you know and that just like a month i i wasn't around on twitter i wasn't working on stuff like i normally am and that that had happened a little bit last year as well just if if you know sometimes it happened like life happens and the family happens and that eats up all of your extra energy and so for me, it's not, like a sometimes a struggle not to be frustrated or bitter about that. I yes. Think, mm-hmm. You know, you see other folks who are just like, they're cranking out projects and they're shipping stuff and they're going really <laughs> fast from my perspective. And, you know, it's often that I might get an hour, an hour and a half a day. Um, I mean, the, the flip side of that and like, you know, kids bring so much joy in my life and, you know, I don't, we were just like silly dancing at, 
after dinner last night. And That's it's, awesome. it's like giggles and you wrestle on the floor. There's so much mm-hmm. like awesome and richness in that. Um, and so I try to keep focus on that. And like, I do indie hacking because like, you know, I want the, the freedom of that lifestyle eventually. And hopefully mm-hmm. that opens up stuff for my family in the future. But I don't want to like have a, you know, big negative impact on their life or my ability to be in the family trying to get there right like that's not worth it either and so Mm -hmm. um yeah i i think the when i'm in my saner moment in my saner moments my attitude is you know i i can only do as much as i can do every day i need to stay healthy and just stay consistent and so as much time as i can put into it like that this morning that was about an hour and a half before the kids got up um you know, and that's what I got and I'm happy mm-hmm. with it. And I just get up tomorrow morning and I do it again. And as long as I'm making forward momentum, then I'm happy. And the stuff that you did today, uh, it was about Chime Social, right? Yep. Okay. And now do you work the rest of the day in your job, on your day job? Yeah. So my, ru- okay. <clears throat> yeah, my routine right now is I, I try to get up at, at five and then kids are usually up somewhere between like, 7 30 or so 7 and 7 30 today it was earlier okay so i i have between like five and seven to work on stuff and so i shake off the grogginess drink some coffee and then mm-hmm. work on stuff kids from seven to nine and then work from nine to five and family life after that until bed and is that hard for you to switch sort of back to your day job um whatever you're working on there like from chime social to that or is just a break in between it just sort of like resets your system and then you're ready to go again. Yeah. The break in the, in between definitely does help kind of break mental context. And I don't like mm-hmm. during my workday, unless I don't know, and like if chime goes down in production, sure. I might like go try to see what's going on, mm-hmm. but I don't like, I, uh, I, I can't split up my time during the day between the two. So during the day it's all work in the morning, it's all time. The, the hard thing is, um, especially when you're like programming something that's complicated, that sometimes like an hour and a half or two hours isn't enough focus time. And so when you really need to like focus on one thing for eight hours, it's, um, I don't often have those blocks for time. So that can be challenging to, to always just work in kind of small, like short spurts. Mm-hmm. And I hear you about like, you know, wanting to, spend more time with kids and the reason why you're doing what you're doing with indie hacking, you know, sort of like providing down the line eventually for a life that allows more of that. Like that's sort of my reasoning behind it too. You know, it's not like about buying a Mercedes or having like the largest house in the neighborhood or whatnot. Like, I mean, a Mercedes is nice, you know, don't get me wrong, but it's not because of those reasons. It's more about, you know, traveling, spending more time together, having the freedom to just not go to work like you know some days and just hanging out you know yeah so i really you know i can relate to that a lot and now my kids are a little bigger so they allow me sort of more time to work because they can play on their own or they play together and that's you know much more i guess it's easier so what i'm trying to say is that you know it gets easier with time in a way yeah um yeah and val didn't yeah. you you had like an exit right i know that <laughs> i know yes uh, yeah i'm not the interviewer here but like you no, had, it's okay. Uh, it's, you know, it's a big shit. success and all of that. Did that change? How, you know, like did that it change did. your options and give you flexibility and freedom? 
Yeah, so the first thing that changed, I was able to pay off some debt that I was <laughs> I had accrued like yeah. for a while because yeah. I was the the biggest mistake I did when I started indie hacking is on my first product I went all in. I was running a small studio, a dev shop with six other uh, employees, and we had a good year. And the next year, I wanted to do the SaaS, which I've wanted to do for a long time. And then I called all my clients and I said, hey, we're not going to do any work this year because we're you know, focusing on this product. And then I spent like a ton of money, uh, mm-hmm. got in a lot of debt with it, and mm-hmm. the product didn't go anywhere just uh. you know, because... There was a lot of competition. A lot of things didn't go through. Some yeah. investors were talking to, like they sort of dragged us on forever. And at the end, it didn't pan out. So I accrued a lot of debt, mental, mm-hmm. uh, financial, all kinds of things. Yeah. So when that sale happened, uh, which was almost a year ago, first thing financially helped me clear out a lot of debt, sort of like get that stress out of my way. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, it gave me sort of the time to think what I want to do next and take a break, which I did. Uh, and then the runway of it is just a different story, you know, sort of like yeah. um, I don't have to, um, you know, worry for some time, even though like I, I don't want to sound like I you know, made millions and I don't have to, ever have to work again. But just sort of that margin that I have is yeah. just so much more, you know, easier to even now with block static, it's just like. I'm going much slower with it. Um, not desperate like I was with my other products, which comes through every time if you're talking to a potential client. So, yeah, in that sense, yeah, it definitely changed a lot of things for me. Uh, but, you know, again, I'm not out of the doghouse yet. I still have to get a product that does the MMR, MRR that I'm looking for, sort of like, you know, that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, totally. Uh, so do you want to share a little bit about your startup? Like you you mentioned that yep. the startup that you're working at, um, you mentioned that they're like VC backed. Uh, I'm not sure if I heard correctly, like like yeah. big startups. Like how does that look like in your sort of day to day? Like how does that feel compared to like indie hacking? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah. So they are they they have some VC backing, but they took it on fairly late after they were already profitable. Um, so it's not one of those kind of, you know, uh, unicorns that grows up just because they got injected with tons of VC cash mm-hmm. that happens sometimes. Like there was a pretty profitable business model and they took on VC cash to expand. So that's a really, I think it's a different environment. Um, cause I've worked in like some other kind of VC backed scenarios and that can look really different. So, um, in terms of how it compares with indie hacking, I have a tweet somewhere. I have to dig it up, but basically like if you love software and being an engineer and writing good code and you care about code quality, like indie hacking is not the place for it. In my opinion, Mm -hmm. I I think that's, that's potentially a little spicy, a little controversial. Uh, But like, I think the proper place for that is join an engineering team where your, I mean, your job and the value you bring to the company as an engineer is the code that you write. And, uh, you know, there's other people that are taking care of the business functions and the marketing, like you are, uh, you know, you're incentivized and your value is to make sure that the code drives business value as an indie hacker. Like there's, you often have much more of a trade-off between like, 
I could work on marketing or promoting my product, or I could spend another three hours polishing this code base. And it's um, mm-hmm. trade-off is often like, hey, this is good enough. It's solving my customers' problems. I'm going to go work on like marketing or something else. Um, and th- that's not an excuse to just say like your product should be trash and the code doesn't matter at all. Um, cause you know, it does and bugs affect your customers. It affects your ability to continue to deliver features. I just think that as an indie hacker, the, you are juggling way more stuff than just the code base. And so mm-hmm. if like you're passionate about code, join an engineering team that writes high quality code and you'll be much happier than trying to do that as an indie hacker. Um, one yeah. caveat though, I did hear from somebody that like they're, they're selling code, like they're selling a. It's a framework or it's like a SaaS starter. It's it's that suite of product. And so what you're doing is you're selling code to other developers. And that's a great sort of niche to be in if you can do it, because then you have actual business justification to like really polish the code base because that is that is literally your product versus, you know, for Chime, like nobody cares what my code looks like because they're interacting with my interface, right? Sure. If the product does what it says and it does it reliably, like, great. Nobody cares what the code looks like. Mm-hmm. So, does that? Yeah. And a lot of, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of, you know, your clients, they don't have to be developers too, you know, like they could be marketers, etc. Yeah. I think selling to developers is like super frightening to me because, like they're going to be dissecting the code that I've written, you know, like if I do something like that, like a, like a sort of a, a starter code for SAS or whatnot. Yeah. But um, yeah, um, you know, like I personally, like I, I like more to like polish the product and improve it and talk to clients what they would like to see down the line or what's not working correctly that could maybe be better. And I was listening to AJ from Card. Uh, mm-hmm. He was on uh, on the SaaS podcast, and his story is, like, amazing. I mean, I would love to have a product like that. Basically, he started Card, and then down the line, um, he noticed that a lot of people are using it. And now, when asked, like, what would you rather do, he said, well, you know, most of the time, I'm polishing code, I'm making the product better because I feel that people that use my product, they will tell other people that the product is great. So that's sort of like his marketing, you know? And I guess that leads me to another question, you know, like to you, like, do you like doing marketing for Chime? Like, is it, is it something that you don't like, or you like to do more product work? Where do you stand on that? Yeah. Yeah. And this goes to my like current life situation, right? I have this job that provides for my family and Mm -hmm. You know, I live in an area that has a really high cost of living. So the the bar for me to like be able to quit my job is just the, you know, the MRR I need to reach is really high. Um, mm-hmm. And because of that, the approach I've taken is like, I would love to get there one day, but I have a long road to it. Um, so the approach with Chime is like, it is, it is fun for me. And if I lose the fun, I lose all the motivation. Uh, so I have focused primarily on stuff that's fun and the stuff that's fun for me is building. Like I like, I like building and shipping features and that's why like building in public actually works really well for me, um, in this product altogether, because one, it's a Twitter based, like it's a Twitter based product. And so 
my customers or you know potential customers are on Twitter. So if I'm on Twitter building in public and talking about the product and the features and the new stuff that's ship, shipping, that's like that's all the marketing that I do. Um, and so and, and that works for this particular product because building in public on Twitter is just uh, a way to like reach customers and it's also a great way to connect with other founders you know join mm-hmm. the community and that's really how like that's how I got my first customers was building in public and talking about the product that I was building so it, I think if I was in a different situation I'd have to weigh that differently marketing is marketing is hard for me uh, in large part just because like building and coding is comfortable it's what I know it's what I love um, and then the thought of like, oh, I need to sit down and write a blog post about something mm-hmm. and just not in my wheelhouse. But I think if I was in the situation where like, like literally my family is depending on my MRR right. and I'm going to push through the hard stuff and get better at it. I just am not forced to do that right now. And my view is like, that's okay. Like it, it suits, it suits the goals of where I'm at and what my goals are with Chime, but that like that may change in the future. I also mm-hmm. think uh, this kind of gets towards the like the future of Chime is um, I think there's a lot of potential. I mean, Twitter scheduling tools it's fairly saturated. There's a lot of different products out there. There's a number of products from from indie hackers who I respect in the space as well. But I still think that there's there's like a lot more that could happen with Chime. And if the right sort of person came along is like, Hey, I want to partner up with you and like drive marketing on this stuff. Like the right Mm -hmm. partnership could really be, uh, like it could really be valuable. And I think like I'd be open to talking to somebody about that. So, yeah. And I think it's a great position to be in, you know, the one that you're in, like you're not rushing and it doesn't mean that sort of that's detrimental to the product or you can push further because I honestly, like from all, all the products that I've built so far, I think each product has sort of like its own destiny. Mm-hmm. And I know this sounds like out there, but sometimes you could have like the best product, but it could be too early. You might not be in the right market. You may, not, may never find the right market, you know, so you never know that. And to be in a position to not rush it and sort of have the product sort of find its way. And I'm not saying like not work on it. Like what you're doing, I think it's ideal because you're building features as you go. You're using that sort of as marketing because you're on Twitter and the product is for Twitter users. So I think that's great. You know, like I, you know, I mentioned before, like I've been in a position where actually my family depended on the MRR growing and it was the worst position to be in. My money was running out. I had a, I just had a kid. My son, I think was two or three at a time. And it was like, it was unbelievable, man. It was insanely hard to deal with that day to day. Um, so yeah, uh, I think, I think that's a great position to be in. Like I consider that super lucky and privileged, like even for my sort of a situation right now where I can sort of take my time and then feel out what the product is. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I know block static is one thing that I've said it is, but I want to see like what people make out of it, you know, like what do they want yeah. to do with it? So yeah, 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 totally. So with that said, like, um, where is Chime right now? Like, what is he? Actually, I didn't even ask for like people that um, don't know about Chime. Like, what is Chime? Uh, yeah. If you can share more around that. Yeah, yeah. So anybody can check out Chime at Chime.so. Um, the kind of official name is Chime Social because there's, of course, the Chime, the 
banking thing as well. So official name is Chime Social, but do sometimes shorten it to Chime. Um, so Chime is at its heart, it's a smart Twitter scheduling tool. So when you um, sign up and become a paying customer, it analyzes thousands of your followers' behavior on Twitter and aggregates that all together and then recommends the best times for you to post. Twitter as a platform, like the content just doesn't live very long. You know, like the LinkedIn algorithm is super different. Like you see content from three weeks ago, but on Twitter, yeah. that's pretty rare. So Twitter algorithm prizes recency and the way like they, they prize recency and engagement. And so if you're you know, if your tweet gets some early likes, it gets a retweet, it gets a reply, more people are going to see it. And then the snowball just keeps rolling, right? But yeah. if you tweet at a time when like 5% of your followers are around, chances are, um, you know, nobody sees it. And then it just kind of goes off. So which I'm really helps is folks um, be able to like target the best time, but then it gives you um, a clean calendar interface. So you can look at your week, it's going to give you the blocks like, you know, 11 a.m. is the best time for you to post. You just click that and you write your tweet on a like a, a pretty clean, streamlined interface. Because um, when you're writing, like it's about you and your thoughts and what you want to say. So that shouldn't be like cluttered and distracted. Mm -hmm. um, so I just want to make it super easy for people to get get their content out there and get it seen at the you know right time and build their audience that way. There's a bunch of other stuff in Chime as well, like analytics so that you can see what content's working. If you want to see the sort of like more data behind what's driving the calendar's recommendations, you can get to that stuff as well. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's what Chime is about. And what do you, why did you start it? Like what did you consider other products? Is this like an area that you thought yeah. um, is great or did you validate it? Did you do any of those things? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here comes some more, uh, potentially <laughs> controversial spicy takes about, all right, <laughs> <laughs> let's hear it. Yeah. So, uh, I started chime. It wasn't called chime then it was called squirrel and, uh, squirrel was spelled S Q U E A R L dot com. Uh, super confusing. I literally mm -hmm. misspelled it sometimes. <laughs> it, was my uh, it was a terrible name, but the way it started was I had built this uh, like web framework in TypeScript and I wanted like a use case for the, for my TypeScript framework. So I thought, oh, I just like, I'll just build a product. And so um, I didn't spend a lot of time validating. And just, just to be fully clear, I think that in most cases that is actually wrong. And sometimes people get lucky, mm -hmm. but also if you, um, I think you can, you don't always have to validate something if you know that there's already a market there. Like Hype Fury has been around for a while. They've been really successful as like a, you know, they started as a Twitter scheduling tool and they're like, they started as the, the Twitter scheduling tool that does threads. So okay. like I knew somebody already had a product. I knew there's appetite for it. I knew people were paying for that. Um, and so I thought like, oh, well, there's probably other people. It started as Twitter scheduling for developers because, you know, there's like a lot of developers and tech people on Twitter. And so it was like, um, you know, kind of built in the way that developers like products to be like keyboard friendly, um, okay. dark mode. And but then also the idea was like support for um, 
like code snippets. So if you tweet stuff about code, you could like just write your code snippet in editor and it format that into an image and post it to oh, Twitter. Cool. And it does that right now, right? It, uh, I actually removed that feature and I'm, okay. I removed the Twitter scheduling for developers. Cause, um, this is, this is actually the validation part. Uh, I was, you know, getting out there, talking about it, building in public, had some early users and even the developers who were using chime were kind of like, you know, I like occasionally tweet about code, but it's not really that yeah. important. And there's other products that do it, it like that, you know, format nice code images. Um, so like that feature was more gimmicky than core to mm. what people wanted. Uh, so I just like, I removed it and I focused on other stuff because about that same time I started the earliest version of analytics. It wasn't integrated in the calendar. It was just doing the, like analyzing your followers and telling you when your followers are, are most active on Twitter. Um, and that really got people's attention. And all of a sudden I got people, even though it said Twitter scheduling for developers, people joining that like, I'm not a developer, but I'm using this. Hmm, so now I was like, oh, why don't I just switch? And I focus more on that, like scheduling plus analytics angle and have just kind of run with that and then removed all the developer stuff. So, so that was sort of your validation in the sense that what it, what it is, like what's this product do? Yeah, exactly. Okay. But that, that yeah. validation happened slowly by mm -hmm. like building in public, getting customers, talking to them, learning about what they wanted, you know, shipping a feature, seeing what the reception was like. And then if it was good, yeah. developing that feature further. So it, it wasn't like I built a product in isolation for 12 months and right. then went out to see if somebody liked it. It was a very like evolving process. And, you know, it was paid, but the price point was much lower at that point. And how long did that last? Like from the point that you launched the product and until the point where it changed to what it is today, like how, how long did that last? It was about three months, okay. um, maybe less. Like I, I went pretty fast from zero to first paying customers about a month. And at that point it didn't do a lot. It was like a text box that you could type in and it would, you know, pop it into a queue and let you pick the time. Oh, um, wow. So it, it was like, it was pretty basic, but it was easy to use and it was, it was cheap. And so I got my first customer like in about, I don't know, a month and a half and then a couple okay. more the next month. And at that point, um, I started like, I started making the switch even, I mean, it was early, like around maybe five or 10 customers, right? Um, and I'd more like fully switched within three or four months from that Twitter scheduling for developers mm -hmm. to the focus on the analytics stuff. And then it's just, oh man, it was probably about six months in where maybe more six or eight months, where I basically like rebuilt the whole front end around, I, I actually got, I got rid of my homegrown framework, okay. like, like standard open source tools and, um, like rewrote the front end around the smart calendar idea. Wow. I mean, it's pretty quick sort of being aware of where the market is going or where the, your users are going with your product, you know, and just deciding to switch because a lot of people don't, you know, like a lot of people take a lot of pride in their product and they're like, no, 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 it's not that it's this. And everybody's saying like, Hey man, it's, you know, I don't know if it's that, like, I don't want to use it like that. And then, you know, you as a maker, you're insisting at what it is. And it's like, it's better to just listen and then see where people are taking it. You know, like yeah. I, you know, that's very important. And were you considering, or were you building other products before 
chime or this was sort of your first one and then you just went with it i i have as like an indie hacker built four ish other products that none of them made any money across okay. like the four previous years and this is really i mean the thing that i did different was ch with chime is i built in public and i talked about it mm -hmm. and i'd spent like 18 months building this product and i got you know like some friends and family to use it and they sort of used it lightly but i put sunk tons and tons of time and effort into this thing even like created an llc around it um <laughs> didn't make any money and finally i just realized like i ran out of energy for it i i didn't even think it was a more like consumer facing product that like i didn't even really care about like the consumers and the problems they were right. facing. it's like oh that was so dumb i spent so <laughs> much time that was a waste of money so with chime i was like i'm gonna just build something quick i'm gonna commit to doing it for three months and i'm gonna build in public and talk about it like right from the start because building so you had a deadline in a way like sort of yeah you know you gave yourself a timeline okay interesting yeah and it was the, the idea was I was going to do four products over the course of the year. And if one stuck, then I would just keep going with it. But mm -hmm. if it didn't stick three months to me, like with the amount of work I can do, um, three months feels like a good amount of time where I can build something that's meaningful enough. I can talk about it. I could, you know, like tweak or add or change stuff and see if it had potential. And if not, then I feel like, well, I gave it a good try and I'm going to kill this thing off. Uh, but I, I don't feel like I wasted a ton of time and I just take my learnings onto the next thing. So, and this was in tandem with your day job, right? As you were building Chime. Yeah, correct. Correct. That's still uh, just the early, you know, early mornings or late nights or whatever. So what in your opinion is sort of like the time where, you know, you had four products before Chime and what was the times with those products where you said, Hey, this is enough. Like, was it because like zero people showed up or, was it like one of them that some people showed up, but didn't give you enough like sort of confidence to continue? Like what was sort of like the, um, the point where you said, okay, I got to move on to something else. Yeah. For, for one of those, I worked on it for like nine ish months. And when I tried to monetize it, I more or less got feedback that people were like, yeah, we don't want to pay for this. Okay. It, it was a product that was kind of focused on developers. So I was like, oh, this is going to be a $15 a month product. And the feedback they got is like, yeah, I'll just self-host this myself for a five, <laughs> like a $5, you know, digital ocean droplet or something. Mm -hmm. And why would I pay you? And it was like, yeah, the, it was just like the business model didn't work. It didn't make sense. But like, I should have known that before I ever went and built stuff. Right. Um, so that was, that was one of them. And then I was like, yeah, there's, there's no real way for me to take what I have here and pivot it. So I'm just going to walk away. Um, yeah. the other one was, it had a similarly like bad business model. It was one where you needed more like, you know, millions of users supporting on like ad or like partner kind of channel stream revenue. Okay. And like as an indie hacker, I think that's just really, that, that model is really, really hard to grow and support. Um, like it works, it works much better with like VC backed stuff where you can have a large team support a large user base while you build up revenue. Um, and so, but 
again, I realized that after building for like 18 months, like, yeah, I'm just the, the like founder product fit doesn't actually make sense on this mm-hmm. one. So yeah, at that yeah, point, yeah. I was so tired, like, let's just kill this thing off. But then when I'm going to start, you know, what's now Chime, I wanted to do it totally differently and start with something that I could charge. Like I knew I could charge a subscription revenue for right up front. And in my mind, the easiest way to do that is just look at like, what are, are there other products that people are already paying for? And is the market large enough that I suspect mm-hmm. that there's other people who would pay for my product? Right. And you also had sort of like the intention to build in public, which I'm guessing you didn't do with other products, right? Right. That, that was my okay. first time. I'm, I'm a pretty kind of, kind of private person. I don't like to share stuff until it's okay. like good. And so building in public was really challenging for me. Uh, and in some ways it, it still is like, I don't like mm-hmm. to, I don't like to share the bad news. I don't like to share the downers. Um, you know, I don't like to share stuff until I feel like it's, it's like really more polished. So it's, th- that is me pushing myself to, like exercise a new muscle. Cause I think it's, I think it's good. It's great. I love the building public community on Twitter, but it's mm-hmm. also challenging for me. Yeah. Somebody asked me yesterday about not yesterday. They asked me actually about a month ago or so. And I finally got a chance to reply to them. Uh, and they asked me like, you know, what do you think about, they, they were talking about podcasting. They wanted to start a podcast on their own and what it is. They're asking me what it's like to um, run your podcast solo because this year I'm sort of doing it differently. I'm having people come over like you today, but up to now, like I've done it solo, just sort of like put up updates for like 10 to 30 minutes. And in the past I've shared like way too much, like way too early, way too much. And like one of their questions was like, what is, what do you think about transparency? Like how transparent can you be? And sort of my take now from like sharing all the stuff that I did back Mm -hmm. in the day, which I shouldn't have at that time. uh, Looking back, it's like just a big cringe. And thinking about that, yeah. it's like, it's okay to share it, but after the fact that you've sort of overcome it, like something that happened yeah. maybe a couple of months ago, you've overcome it, you have the lesson with you, and now you're sharing the lesson, but never as it's happening. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the worst part, in my opinion, to share it because you have no lesson because you, you, you can't learn. I mean, you're right there in the midst of it. You're sort of like scraping to get by. So I think the only time to share that is... Um, after the fact. Um, and you know, like, why should you like, it's, it, if it's not helping anyone, like, especially if it's not helping you, like, it's just too personal to stretch from some of the stuff, you know, but yeah. then again, you have the other extreme where somebody shares the good stuff like every day and you're like, I'm doing so bad. These people are, you know, they, they're winning like every day and you look at them yeah, and it, it can't be true. You know, it's like impossible. Yeah. There's, so, there's some, yeah. um, there's some people on, on Twitter that I, I've actually muted because yeah. for me, it's like just watching them like endless successes and constantly shipping awesome stuff and feeling <laughs> like I'm, I'm here with like sick kids and I'm exhausted and I don't have time to do this. It just made me yeah. like, it made me feel so terrible that I was like, I can't, like, I can't see it. I hope they succeed. Like I'm rooting mm-hmm. for all the indie hackers. I want them to win. But like, I can't watch your updates because my own self, like yeah. my, my self-esteem and confidence can't handle watching you, uh, you know, be so successful out there. Yeah. I mean, also it's impossible to, to like have success every day, you know, like I, you know, I'm a positive person in general. 
and I like to start my day positively. And but I'm not the type that you know goes around and just like high fives everybody or you know mm-hmm. just like tells everybody that I had the best day ever. It's not like that. Yeah. And like you know, seeing that from someone, I know they mean well. I know they mean no harm, but it's just it's detrimental to others who are looking, and you could potentially make somebody feel bad, you know, because it's not reality. Like we can't, there's no successes every day. I mean, you know, like the, at the sort of scope that people are presenting it. Um, so yeah. Yeah. But um, I think the, the discussions from um, Justin Jackson, you know, they, they kind of started transistor with like a lot more open build in public stuff. Yes. And then, you know, pull, pull that back and explain why I think that that's mm-hmm. some really good, thought and like you know on the other side nathan barry with ConvertKit, right they're somewhere in the 30 million dollar revenue and they're pretty open about a lot of stuff right it obviously looks different when you have a team of 60 people or or whatever convert kit is at now these days but um yeah there's folks like uh john from banner bear who still does does Mm -hmm. open stuff and i think like learning from those folks who kind of started from from scratch, got up to the size of like having substantial businesses um, and then how they've wrestled with building in public. Cause I think it, it really changes when you're building in public and you have like, you know, either no revenue or a small amount of revenue to millions of dollars that, mm-hmm. th- and the value of building in public really changes across that window too. So um, and yeah. I, I think like the uses of building in public is something folks need to think about as well. Like for me, building in public is marketing and that's a really strong reason to keep doing it. But if you're, if your market isn't on like Twitter or another place where you build on in public, it's not going to be useful marketing for you. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it might help you like connect to other founders though. Like you might, it kind of could be a support network, which could be really helpful. Um, but I think people need to think about like what what are they actually using building in public for, and it doesn't meet the goals of what they want because there's other ways to do it. You don't have to you don't have to build in public, and it may be the wrong thing for you to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are people that don't have many followers, but they have like a successful startup, and right. their target is not people on Twitter, you know. So yeah, totally. And I think like um, like comparing just going back to ConvertKit. Uh, like you said, like they're they're a huge team. They can go much faster. And I think where Justin and John uh, with Transistor, I think where they stopped sharing those things is that I think like one of their competitors were like sort of looking at their numbers constantly and what they're sharing and what they're doing. And then yeah. they were doing the same thing like right after. And I know you can't copy brand, you know, but then again, like you have this small business where it's making like a couple of million and you want to protect it because it's providing, you know, a great life for your family and you don't want to ruin it, you know? So, you know, I don't know. It's like sharing, oversharing, like starts hurting your business, then there's no really point to doing it, you know? I know Rob Walling is against it. Like he sees no point in it. Like, why should you do it? Like, there's no reason to share any numbers or whatever. Yeah. Uh, there are other ways to grow your your startup. But uh, right, right. yeah, totally. And I want to go uh, to your logo. Like you rebranded yeah. it recently. Yeah, and I loved it. Like I love the sort of the two D approach, and it's like this three D thing, yeah, uh, with like inner shadows and whatnot. Like it was, it's really good. I love it, and yeah. I was I was curious about the reasoning behind why you decided to change it, and yeah. why now maybe. 
Yeah, so um, the, the reasoning was the logo that Chime had, again, like this is the, the early days. My mind was, I'm going to get something out in three months, right? So I am not going to stress about colors. I'm not going to stress about the logo. I'm not even going to stress about the domain, right? I chose that horrible squirrel.com domain because <laughs> right. it was $12 on Google domains. Um, the logo, I spent, I think, maybe like five to 10 minutes doing that on Canva. And I'm like, I'm not a designer. The color palette, I use Tailwind's default color palette because okay. at that stage, it was way more important just to get something out and keep moving. Um, but like over time, I like just value the, like the presentation of the brand. And I want time to look like, look more serious and look more professional. And it looked like it had a five minute Canva logo. Okay. Um, at the same time, I was, uh, you know, watching uh, David Hill, who, who did the logo and is an amazing designer. He was doing these uh, design warmups, I think is what he, he calls them, where I think just, you know, like keeping his skills sharp and you spend 30 minutes and like kind of whip out these logos. I'm like, I met, you know, I DM'd him. I'm like, dude, your warmups like wildly better than my current logo. Um, and so that's kind of how it, how it started. And, um, yeah, so David, like he is, you know, professional designer knows how to design logos. He went through like a brand exploration with me. Um, and then, you know, uh, he shared in public, which was awesome. All of the, like all of his process. So he went through like a number of different concepts. We talked about which ones had the most potential. We shared those on uh, you know, he shared those on Twitter with, to get people's opinions, like, Hey, which, you know, we can go with options one, two, three, or four, which one do you think has the most potential? And then, you know, iterated it on, on that one. And so the end result is that kind of, yeah, uh, 3d ish ish feeling logo that plays on the, like it plays on the circle concept, which is the, mm -hmm. the old logo. The old logo is basically, like a, um, you know, an orange or a, a purple circle and then a, like a dark off black, um, inner filling. And so it, it like evolved the purple color and the, the circle. So you kind of have some continuity there and then has a bit of like a speaker feel to it. So you have the, like, you know, chimes about ampli amplifying your message, um, has some of the like concentric circles and a, a, a C shape, uh, right. kind mm -hmm. of, so like, I love it. I think it's awesome. David did an amazing job. And it, it really gives, like, Chime, I think, a more professional appearance. And then, uh, you know, it makes it a bit more distinctive as well. So when you see Chime, it's like, oh, yeah, that's Chime's logo. And, you know, it helps it stand out among the other options. And you redesigned the landing page as well, right? The website? Is that part of the rebranding? Um, uh, I, I had done the landing page like last summer. Um, and, but I did like, I did update it with the new colors. There's a new typeface and, um, like I tweaked some of the language and stuff like that to make it work well with the new branding, yeah. but it was, it, it was a bit of an, um, evolution last summer, uh, Jared Peachy, uh, I, uh, hired him to, to redesign the landing page and he did a, he did a great job. Yeah. 
I love it. I mean, I love the new logo. It almost feels to me like it's been pressed and it's chimed. Like, you know, like I almost want to hear like the sound. Yeah. You know, the little chime. So it's really cool. Yeah, he did a great job. Like I loved it the moment I saw it. Um, and they all, also like sort of um, the the whole typography of, you know, the name Chime Social. So yeah, yeah. really, really yeah, cool. Great. Yeah, I think if yeah, so, folks have yeah. like, they need logos, go follow David Hill, go DM him on Twitter. Uh, see if you know you can work something out because I love it. And I think you know he can do great work for for other folks. Yeah. Um, one question I had about Chime Social and what sort of is its dream outcome? Like, what would you like to see happening? Like in your in your sort of best case scenario, is it uh, an exit potentially, like soon, or mm-hmm. it's like a company that has growing MRR and you grow team and all, and you just go on as as far as you can? Yeah. I, I think more likely is an exit at, at some point. Uh, I don't know precisely when that is. You know, I have my numbers that if somebody came mm-hmm. to me today and they, you know they had numbers that match my numbers, I'd probably let it go. But I, I don't think that'll happen just like based on where China is in terms of revenue and all that. Um, but I'm also super happy just to have Chime as something that, you know, I keep working on, like I said, making a little progress every day, hopefully can keep the, the MRR growing over time. And, uh, you know, if it, if it provides more freedom and flexibility for my family in like a few years, um, then like, that's great. It's definitely something I just keep, like keep running on the side. Like I currently am, um, I don't, I honestly don't see a future where it's like growing to the point where I'm hiring a team mm-hmm. of people to, to work it. Uh, and maybe that's just because I lack that big vision at this point. To me, it's it sort of seemed like a, a side project that I keep going on the side, growing the revenue. And at some point uh, I decide that, hey, like I've gone as far as I, I can on this. I'm going to sell it to somebody who can take it to the wherever they want to take it after that. Yeah, I'm not big into teams. Like I've, I've ran a, I mentioned before, I ran a studio, a small design dev shop back in the day. I had like six employees mm-hmm. and it's just like, I, I wouldn't want to deal with that. Like, you know, just the whole management part of the team. Like I'm more into like doing, you know, so I'm the same. Like if I were to pick, like sort of choose the outcome of my products, it'd be like growing it to up to a point where I maybe hire one person, like sort of work in tandem with them. But at some point where I see like it's scaling, it's going bigger, probably like I'd see an exit or maybe I'll just stay, but like I'll, I would get out of the day to day and just stay there. Like, but definitely not manage the team or hire. Like I wouldn't like that at all. No. So, um, yeah. yeah. I, I sort of anticipate a, a future where I might have something like, I actually, I think Transistor is a good example. I think they just hit, we had the two co-founders and then they hired uh-huh. two, two employees. Like, that seems to me like a really fun size because you've got people to yep. collaborate with and work with and, like, you've got people rowing in the same direction. So you just don't feel like you're trying to, like, struggle uphill by yourself. But also, it's not, like, you don't have big company politics or all of the issues. Like, it's right. small and flexible. Um, so something, like kind of my dream spot, maybe that's in 10 years or so is having a product that's in that, like, I don't know, million to 2 million revenues supporting like a small team in a mm-hmm. niche market. That, that would be a great spot. Um, eventually I don't, 
think changes the product, but uh, who knows? I could be wrong. Yeah, you never know. I mean, you know, I mentioned AJ before of Card, and they're two people. Mm-hmm. And I think they are like two or three or something per year, like a million ARR. Yeah. And that is just insane. And I'm like, that's my dream product. Like, you know, just work with yeah. another person, like me and maybe another person, and just sort of like, you know, I go on vacation, they take over the support or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then you go like that for a couple of years, and then you sell for maybe like 10x. And yeah. then you're like, you know, I just, I'm going to take a break now. So. Seriously. I, I mean, you could dreams, right? Like you could, you could, at, if you're making two to 3 million ARR and you're only two people, right? You can, you can be stashed in a whole bunch of way that even like Absolutely. you don't even need the sale, right? To s- step back. That and, is true. Yeah, out. that is true. Yeah. yeah. If you're like, you know, if you're like good at, you know, with managing your money and like investing it early on, just putting it away, not spending out, like spending all of it. I yeah. think there's definitely a way to, like you're saying, you maybe not, don't even have to exit. You right. just work with that money for like a, quite a while, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I agree like that. That's the dream. And I think for me, it's just like, I'm just going to keep, keep making progress, keep taking shots. And mm-hmm. like, you know, AJ has an awesome story. Cards, a super cool product. Yeah. Uh, you know, and who knows if, if I keep keep taking shots, keep increasing the surface area, like I might, I might have my own, you know, success with them. Yeah, and like this sort of leads me to the next question. Like, you know, you have you have like five products under your belt. Um, you know, you have some experience with building a product, validating, uh, marketing, selling, getting clients. Uh, mm-hmm. So, if you were to start today, yeah, like how would you start a new product? let's say tomorrow, like your chime is sold, is exited or, you know, whatever the case may be, but you want to start a new product. What sort of things you would do first? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think a lot about, um, product founder fit and then does the business model work? So like, I want to think about, is this, is this a, market segment that I care about and I want to invest the next two to five to 10 years into serving that market segment. But it's just like, pick on, pick on plumbers, right? I'm sure you can build a profitable business selling stuff to plumbers, but I don't know anything about plumbers. I don't have any plumbers in my family. Right. If I'm like, I'm going to build this product for, it's like, that is just going to be hard and challenging. And eventually I'll probably be like, man, I just don't know how to reach plumbers. I'm giving up. And so, uh, I think about like, you know, who, which markets can I like reasonably tap into? And I think that would, that I would be excited about serving them over time. Um, so that's, that, that, that would be the first question I want to ask. And then I'm going to ask like, does the product that I'm thinking about, do, do the unit economics make sense? Mm-hmm. according like if i if i if my goal is to get to that like four four person team it's like how much can you work backwards from that to how much you need to charge each customer because if you're charging each customer like ten dollars a year um you know how many do you need in order to support a team of four people does that even mm-hmm. make sense right can you do a product that charges sixty thousand dollars a year well, maybe, but then you're more in like enterprise sales territory. And so like figuring out what's the right, like the right market segment for me, figuring out what makes sense in terms of a 
like a business model. Um, and then if it's, you know, if I can look out in the market and say, Hey, there's somebody else doing this or pretty similar, maybe they're, they're doing a couple million dollars a year in revenue and they've been going on for five or 10 years. That's, that's almost enough validation for me to say like, there's market and there's appetite for this. I just have to figure out, can I, can I connect the dots? Um, so that's sort of the line of thinking. I, I've got a couple product ideas that, um, all right, Val, here it comes. This <laughs> not not told before. All right. Um, Encore. I, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm thinking about a product that allows developers to basically like write and sell courses, but all they do is write markdown files, push it to GitHub. And then it like syncs and creates a course, you know, you connect your Stripe account and get money in your account. But all you, all you need to do is to create like an interactive programming course is, uh, you know, like write some markdown and every, you know, all developers are writing markdown all the time for documentation, all sorts of stuff. So, right. and then I think that could, that could be expanded from just, uh, like just selling courses to something that's like a it's an internal knowledge base or onboarding and training thing that you could um, sell to businesses as well. So. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and, would, and are you the type that sort of, uh, would you build a tiny sort of thing, an MVP that you can start showing it to people or you would still, even if, even after those two initial steps, you would still sort of want to validate, you know, talk to these people before you like lay down any, any line of code. Oh, for sure. I, I'm still very much in the, um, well, I, t I take that back. I would probably build something and then go talk to people. <laughs> yeah, because you can do it fast, right? Yeah, I, I can do yeah, it fast right. and it's fun. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to start that unless I'm fairly convinced that there's something there anyway. Um, but yeah, in theory, I love the idea of like, you know, stand up a landing page on card. You can do that yeah. in like an hour and like start tweeting about it and collecting people's emails. Like in theory, I love that idea. In practice, I always build first. <laughs> I know, but does anyone do that? Like I keep asking people like, you know, like we read all these books, we follow all the like, you know, thought leaders and whatnot. Like at the end of the day, like we as makers, builders, you know, private people, we still, you know, build something and then try to show it to people because we can. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> I think that's more fitting for like um, sort of like a business marketer, you know, type of person that can't build, have to hire somebody. But even now, I mean, you can use Bubble, you know, to build something quickly and just show it right. to people. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I it's think the, cool, man. Yeah. the biggest the biggest danger for people like me um, who are developers, who have product mm -hmm. ideas but not like not a very good like business and marketing sense, which, you know, I'm learning the hard way by failing. But the biggest danger for, for people like us is that we build stuff that nobody wants. Right. Um, sure. And so you, you, you just have to figure out what, like how to overcome that flaw because probably 99% of the time, I think, but the like the developer indie hacker um, type builds stuff that nobody wants, and then they show up on indie hackers like, "Hey, I'm looking for a marketing co-founder because I built this thing and nobody's using it." 
And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, <clears throat> that's a, I think that's a really hard uh, position to be in. And it's the, like, that is our Achilles heel and we just have to know about it and find ways to compensate for it. Yeah. And you know what the worst position is? Like if some people like it and then you're sort of stuck, like you don't know if this thing is good right. and then it keeps you there forever. Like I've been there, you know, like I think it's, um, I think it's better if nobody wants it <laughs> because, yeah. you know, you're like, you know, nobody wants this thing. I'm going to go out. And then you have like 10 people show at the party and you're like, ah, is this a party? Maybe it is like, go get the drinks yeah. and you end up spending money, but it's not really a party, you know? Right. So right. It's super tricky to like, know, yeah. you know, to have those deadlines. Like you, you had mentioned earlier in the, in the show, like you had a timeline. You're like, you know, three months is the, you know, time where I'm going to like sort of look back and say, Hey, is this thing good? A friend of mine asked me the other day, uh, he has a product, uh, he has hooked up Stripe, there's no payments yet. And he asked me, he's like, you know, how many months would you wait for that first payment? Like, that was the question he asked me, like, what is like, what is sort of enough? And I said, well, if I were to do it today with another product, um, I would probably, if I'm not getting anything after like some marketing after a month, like that's pretty bad sign, you know, for me at right, right now. Like, because I've been around for, you know, some time, I, I know some people and if nothing is, you know, biting, you're like, ah, this is, this is horrible, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I think you really, at that point, like you've got to weigh the opportunity cost. Cause if you keep sure. like barking up the wrong tree, <laughs> yeah. like nothing's coming down. So mm-hmm. go, like take your effort and go put it into something that will. And like, yeah. uh, you have to fight these, um, uh, what's the sunk cost fallacy? Uh, mm-hmm. you, know, like, mm-hmm. you really have to fight the sunk cost fallacy in that. But I think you think about opportunity cost. Right? Like how much are you losing by continuing that effort if nothing's paying off? So. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Over the years, I mean, I've learned to sort of detach myself from the product, yeah. um, which is hard, you know, because you've built it, but it's so much easier. You know, like if time comes to like close it down and it's like moving on to something else, it's like much easier because... I know a lot of founders early days, like they build a product, it's like the product is them and they're the product. Mm-hmm. And that's like the worst place to be in because you know, anything can happen to the product. Yeah. Could be the best product in the world, but it's just the time might not be right, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I think it's 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 totally cool to, uh, you know, have a big vision for your product, to even like, you know, love your product, feel attached to it but that always has to come second order to your customers. Mm-hmm. And so if you put your customers first, then you're willing to like go with their feedback and be like, Hey, this, this feature that, you know, you very lovingly crafted and uh, you know, you thought about and you have a big vision for, and they're like, we don't like it. Then right. rip it out. <laughs> right. Don't waste your time. Yeah. Anymore, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think with time, you know, like the more products you build, sort of like you grow a thicker skin, you know, like, you know, the steps better. Nobody can teach you that. Like we can take like an early stage founder, somebody that started today and like show them and tell them everything we've done. And at the end of the day, like they have to go through some of the steps, you know, because it's yeah. it's different when you're like into it. So, yeah, there's the people like, I don't you know, Mark Zuckerberg's the famous example, right? He like builds Facebook in his dorm room. And next thing you know, t- 10 years later, it's this huge, you know, on one of the most valuable companies in the world. Like, mm-hmm. and that is such an anomalous story. Most yep. people 
build the product in their college dorm and then it goes nowhere. Right. Um, and that's cool. Like all you, you know, that is the story of most of us. And the thing mm-hmm. we need to do is like pick yourself up, ship another thing, right. And just get your reps in and you'll learn and you'll grow that thicker skin and you'll get better sense. Um, so the only failure there is just not starting again. No, totally. I think it depends also like, you know, we, we started the episode today with talking about why we're doing this, you know, like mm-hmm. it was the family, the free time and whatnot. And there are people like Zuck who want to take over the world, maybe like since they were five, like who knows? And then you're like, you know, you go through those steps that they did. And then you're like, if you're, if you or I were put uh, on that position, you'd be like, ah, uh, well, you know, like I don't really want to do this. You know, that's not, that's not what I want, you know? Right. So yeah, it depends, I guess, with the personality too. Like, right. what do you want to do at the end? You know? Yeah. I do not envy like no, <laughs> no. job. I do not want to appear before Congress because of <laughs> oh my God. that is not what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, no. Not like especially when you have to cover up things, you know, because you have a board and you have to sound like you know your things and like deep down you know like you're you're like messing up everything. Uh that's a like horrible position to be in. But uh yeah man, this has been a great uh conversation. I really enjoyed having you on here. Like we've hit the one hour mark. Yeah, because, you know, I, I don't know, like listeners these days, like everybody has a shorter attention span. So like that's sort of like the mark. Yeah. Well, if you cut out, cut out all the times I said, um, you'll probably <laughs> like 20 minutes. <laughs> Mine too. So, yeah, don't worry about that. Um, so a couple of things I want to know for the end, like are, yeah. are there any podcasts that you listen to that you want to share with others that you like? So I listen to the SaaS podcast from Omer Khan, Indie Hackers from indie hackers mm-hmm. um, those are the the two the two main ones that i really enjoy uh, let me look at my library see if i if i've got any of them um yeah i, I listen to the bootstrap founder from arvid call and sometimes when i'm kind of like thinking about new business ideas i'll listen to my five my first million okay great yeah i have all of those in my list so awesome nice. awesome podcast and where do you hang out like where can people find you online um yeah if you can share that yeah the best place to find me is on twitter it's jones underscore spencer a uh so yeah the best i i'm more or less i'm, a, I'm only active on twitter these days just as a sanity thing that i can only keep up with one platform basically and i can't even keep up with one so uh anytime i have i spend on twitter awesome and awesome yeah and is there anything i didn't ask you that you want to share no man i think we covered it (laughs) we covered it for this time around yeah man this has been awesome i would love to have you on again like down the line maybe in a couple of months and you know like maybe you have charm maybe you have something else would love to have you on again and just talk what we did today yeah, awesome. I, uh, awesome. I I look forward to seeing the episode come out, see what folks think of all my uh, spicy takes. <laughs> yes, yes. In a, in a few days, I'll, uh, you know, it's Monday. So, like, today is Friday. We'll deploy it on Monday. And people that are listening to it, it's Monday now. So, right. <laughs> there you go. Happy Monday. All right. Yes. All right, Spencer. Good to talk to you, man. You too. Cheers, man. All right. Bye.